Welcome to the Collaborate podcast. I'm Victor Adibuali, chair and founder of Collaborate. Collaborate is a small organisation with massive ambition. We want to look beyond the challenges we currently face in society and start a conversation about the future. We live in challenging times and I think we need more collaboration in society, in public services, in our economy, all to create a better future. So we're exploring what a collaborative society could look like, how you build it and where the green shoots are. And as part of this, I'm talking to some fascinating people about how they are creating change through their work. Kevin Fenton is um, one of the coolest guys I've ever met. <laughs> um, and if you met him, you'd know why. He's, um, he's a cool black guy with an American accent, <laughs> an American Jamaican accent. But he's also fiendishly clever. He's a professor um, and he's looked at uh, epidemiology of HIV. He's worked for uh, Public Health England and he's now the director of public health in Southwark. But what he brings is a deep knowledge, a deep research knowledge and a really a dignified intelligence, which I've always really admired. He just, you meet the guy and you know that he's really interested in what's going to happen to you next. Um, and he has a deep interest in community and people, um, but brings to it um, a, a, a science, um, and the knowledge of science and, and how that can be applied to um, uh, managing not just disease, but health conditions. And I know he's driven by the same things I'm driven by, which is, which is you know, the inverse care law and how do we reverse it. So I want to talk to a cool guy and that cool guy's um, Kevin Fenton. Well, Victor, first of all, thanks for, for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. And as you know, I'm really passionate about collaboration and how we work together to achieve better outcomes, you know, for the people who are serving and, and the people who we work with. So I'm looking forward to the discussion today. I'm Kevin Fenton. I am a physician. I'm a doctor and I am a public health doctor. Uh, and I currently work uh, with uh, the London Borough of Southwark and I'm one of the strategic directors there. I'm also the director of public health for Southwark. So for those of you listening who live in Southwark, I'm the man who is in charge of ensuring that, you know, our residents, people who live and work in the borough and play in the borough do so safely, that we help to support their health and their well-being, and that we help to ensure that as a, as a community, we continue to grow together, live better, uh, and, and use all of the assets in the borough. I also work with the um, Public Health England, the National Public Health Agency, and I'm one of the senior advisors for Public Health England. I worked with them previously as their National Director for Health and Wellbeing. I did that for nearly five years before going to Sebec. And so I have a very unique perspective of uh, working locally, but also being very well connected to a lot of the work that's being done nationally to help everyone in England live longer, healthier lives and to reduce health inequalities. So I've been a physician now for nearly three decades. It's hard to think, you know, that I've, I've I graduated from medical school in 1990. It was in America, wasn't it? Because you uh, didn't, was it America? No, Jamaica. Jamaica. Yeah, okay, okay. Because I, yeah. you spent quite a long time spent, in America. Right. So I spent time in the U.S. working with the uh, the U.S. government, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services there, 
with the Bush administration and the Obama administration before coming back home. That must have been fun. A, an interesting was, contrast, yes. Bush to Obama. <laughs> it was. It was very much so. Mm. Um, but for many years, I worked in the prevention of HIV mm. and led programs here in the United Kingdom and then in the United States, mm. um, and really focused on what was at the time the epidemic and the challenge, the health challenge of our time. I remember you know, it well. um, And for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, seeing death and despair mm. from mm. HIV mm. is still etched in our minds mm. and in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so I was really called to, to serve and to, mm. to make a difference in, in that epidemic. So worked in research mm. as well as developing programs. But then I came back to the UK uh, six years ago and mm -hmm. have been able to work both nationally and mm -hmm. now locally mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Southwark. And I, I was wondering, you know, starting with the Southwark, your Southwark experience, what some of the challenges of your job are. You know, we, we, Southwark's, uh, uh, there's a lot of poverty in Southwark and um, there's also a lot of wealth. I mean, there's a lot of development, a lot of million pound flats going up. So I just wondered what your take, what some of the challenges are that you're facing in day-to-day -day challenges and some of the strategic challenges. So yes, I have been working in Sadak now for the past two years, and I have to say it's been one of the, the, the most rewarding things I've done. In part, it's about working locally and connecting with local people, but it's also about being connected with passionate and committed local politicians mm. with fantastic partners working in the NHS, in the academic institutions, in the voluntary sector, mm. all of us keen to make that difference mm. for the people who are serving and bringing a lot of innovation and creativity to the work that we're doing. That means that in many ways, Southwark is at the cutting edge of what needs to be done when it comes to transforming health and care in our country. But as you rightly say, Southwark is a, a borough of many contrasts. Mm. So we have areas of great wealth, for mm -hmm. example, in the north of the borough, mm. where there's a lot of change happening in London mm. Bridge, mm. Blackfriars, mm. and also in the south Dales of the Bridge borough. Estate, I think in mm. Elephant Castle. But right across the middle of the borough, stretching yeah. from uh, Walworth yeah. through to yeah. Elephant and Castle, yeah. Peckham, mm. uh, straight through to Nunhead, mm. clear pockets of deprivation. Mm. And in fact, some of the communities there are living in some of the most deprived conditions in the country. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that focuses the mind mm. in terms of the health issues that results from this mm. deprivation mm. and this inequality. Mm. So as a borough, we're struggling with uh, uh, significant differences in life expectancy between the richest and the poorest mm. parts of the borough. Mm. There's about an eight to 10 year gap. Really? Is that life expectancy, <clears throat> that active life expectancy or? or that's that's full life expectancy right. and when you think of healthy life expectancy yeah. how long you can live without yeah, developing right. any yeah. diseases you also see significant differences between yeah. the richest and the poorest parts because the bit well. the, the, this, the, the fact that shocks me was told to me by the chief executive Barkin and Dagenham and I still repeat to this day is that if you're a woman in Barkin and Dagenham your active life expectancy is 55 mm -hmm. yep I, yeah. And, and these are things which have huge impacts on yeah. the health service and huge impacts on yeah. the social care system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're not living healthy lives mm. for as long as possible, mm. it means that we are in contact with the health services, yeah. we're using social services, and we're putting more pressure on the system. Yeah. So it's all in all of our interests to, to focus on, on these things. In addition to mm. life expectancy issues, as a borough, we're grappling with a lot of people living with multiple long-term conditions, mm. so having many chronic diseases, mm. most commonly hypertension right. and diabetes and a mental health issue. And, and is that part of the active life expectancy? So when, you, when we talk about active life expectancy, yeah. 
starting to fall away, these are people who will have those multiple conditions. Exactly. So mm. by age 55 mm. to 58, people mm. begin to develop either high blood pressure mm. or diabetes, mm. or they may be struggling with anxiety and depression. Mm. And mm. that mm. may have started a bit earlier as well. Right. So in Southwark, we're very concerned by the number of adults who are really walking around managing these multiple yeah. conditions. Yeah. And again, that has huge impacts on their families, yeah. their ability to participate in the workforce, yeah. um, and how they use the services. Mm. And does that does that create demand? I mean, when you you know the hospitals in in Southwark, I mean, does is that directly related to demand? Um, yeah, it absolutely is. Because if, if people are becoming unwell earlier, mm. it means that there's pressure on primary care services. Yeah. There are pressures on hospital services mm. at a time when we know that there are pressures all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think the system in Southwark, working with our local GP practices, yeah. the local clinical commissioning group, is really thinking about how do we do things differently? Mm-hmm. And how do we look at integrating between health and social care and working more closely with public health and prevention so we can support people earlier and we can help people to either adopt healthier lifestyles to prevent them developing these diseases or ways in which we can, once people have these conditions, yeah. encourage them to self-manage at home, yeah. take care of themselves, yeah. you know, get more active, yeah. all of which can help to improve outcomes. Uh, there's a notion, this notion of people looking after themselves, right? And well, I've got two two questions really. One is about how much of this is directly related to poverty, you know, just because I, I think people sometimes don't see the connection between real poverty and these things, and there might not be one because then you'd know there's all these assumptions. And the other is to what extent or what techniques or what what have you seen that really works in in getting people to take ownership because. You know, for me and you, to be honest, it's fairly easy. We, we you know, Maslow's hierarchy, rock yeah. and roll, yeah. down the gym, you know, whatever. But, but actually, if you can't afford that, and you've yeah. got somebody telling you, yeah. you're too fat, you're too this, you're yeah. too that. I've got to be honestly, my response is to be like, up oh, yours, Sonny. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I'm wondering yeah. about how that, how that works. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right that there's a very strong relationship between poverty mm. and the outcomes that we're seeing, and. It should come as no surprise, Mm. because if you have fewer resources, Mm. it means that you're less likely to be able to take advantage of the the sort of health-promoting things that you have around you. You're less likely to purchase healthier foods. Mm. You're less likely to have a gym membership. Mm. You're less likely to be able to travel, to Mm. go to spend time in a park, Mm. to visit friends, Mm. things that will help to sustain you and to build your health and your well-being. So if you are financially disadvantaged you don't have that ability and it also means that your focus becomes survival rather Mm. than thriving and if it means that you go through the day worried about will you have food on the table Mm. will your kids get home safely Mm. will you be able to prepare for the next day Mm. that's Mm. a very different reality to thinking and planning to go to the gym on Friday or to, (laughs) you know, to to go for a retreat shall we have polenta or rice this evening (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) And, (laughs) and so we have to be honest about that yeah. about what that means and that also is occurring within a context where not only are you have having people who are struggling mm. but they're in communities that are struggling as well yeah. so as funds have become less available mm. for this community support structures mm. which would have helped people who are struggling mm. um, we're now seeing more people attending for mm. food banks mm. we see people who mm. are homeless, Mm. we need to make those connections Mm. about 
how much more can communities bear? Mm, mm, and mm. when communities are not able to be as resilient, yeah. how does that impact yeah. individuals yeah. as well? Yeah. So I think we need to see all of mm. these things mm. in the room. And you, I'm sorry, sorry just see your, your, your second question, which was, so what does it mean for yeah. getting yeah. people to, yeah. Yeah. I think we need to meet, meet people where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that what may be a priority for us in the health system is not going to be a priority. Very for much agree with that. It's a it's a language and attitude thing, isn't it? The presumption that poor people are stupid um, yeah. is, is utterly wrong. Yeah. But we, we, the system kind of behaves like that. Yeah. Uh, I find that fascinating. And, and the, of course, the NHS was started by people, poor people. Yeah. Really, uh, yeah. it's, I mean, I think that's. But there's a layer on this that. Um, uh, for those of you that are listening to this, you know, just worth telling you, you know, there's two black guys sitting here, right? There's another layer upon all this, isn't there, yeah. which is race. Yeah. And, and Southwark does have a significant yeah. BME population. And I just wondered um, uh, what your thoughts are about that overlaying of race on this. Because yeah. when people talk about poverty and working class, the tendency to think about, you know, horny, horny handed sons of toil, yeah. generally yeah. white. Yeah. And I just want to. Yeah, so uh, you're right. Uh, so like it's one of the more diverse boroughs in London. I think mm. we were the ninth most diverse borough in the in the city. Mm. About forty five percent of mm. our residents are mm. BME, mm. and if you look at our school age children, mm. they're no minority majority. So fifty five percent of our yeah. children in schools in Southwark are black and minority yeah. ethnic. So over time, we're continuing yeah. to see this change in the makeup yeah. of our population. Yeah. Um, but there, the poverty that we see in, in Southwark is concentrated in majority, minority areas, but mm. you also see significant populations of white working class. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, it's not either, either or. It's, it's not, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you have that occurring yeah. across the yeah. borough. So it's really important that you look at social and economic mm. status, mm. but you must look at race mm. and ethnicity because mm. it influences how we fund community organizations mm. to help mm. us to reach communities. Mm. It influences the kinds of messages that mm. we need to get out mm. and to whom mm. within different communities, mm -hmm. because different mm -hmm. communities have different ways of engaging with the system. Yeah. And it also influences the assets which are in different communities yes. that we can pull upon yeah. to help us to ensure that everybody is mm -hmm. engaged in this process mm -hmm. of improving health. Mm -hmm. So the assets within or white working class community, mm. for example, in Bermondsey mm. or in um, uh, uh, in the Canada Water area in the yeah. borough will be very different in terms of their networks and assets yes. to yes. the Black Caribbean community yes. in Peckham, yes. etc. Yes. So it's really important for us yes. to not gloss over the importance yeah, yeah, yeah. of race and ethnicity yeah, yeah. and culture, but to integrate that. Do you, I mean, I've got to ask you, people always ask me this, so it's, it, it gives me great pleasure to ask you it, actually, because mm. people, the, the people used to ask, say to me, what's it like being in the House of Lords? What they really mean is, what's it like being a black person in the House of Lords? I've got to ask you, right? Because I, <laughs> I know of only two black directors of public health in local government. Yep. Um, and you're not really, you're bigger than that, in the sense that you've come, you know, you're on secondment and all yep. that. But what's it like being a black leader in that system? Um, you know, facing, you know, looking at these discrepancies, seeing it. And yeah, I, I think I have that same sense of when I was working in national government. Mm. And, you know, in the civil service, I mm. was one of mm. a handful of senior black civil mm. servants. I think there are three things. First is a, a huge sense of responsibility mm. that you recognize that you're here and that you have a you have to make mm. a difference in mm. some shape or form. So mm. there's that sense of responsibility that yeah, you yeah. bring. The second is 
the realization that if you're not in the room, certain conversations are not yeah. being had. Like the one we're talking about, <laughs> understanding the different things that communities bring. And, exactly. And yeah. rather than seeing that as a deficit, you, you begin to see it as, yeah. well, that's a positive thing because you understand yeah. what your unique voice is mm -hmm. and how to leverage that mm -hmm. unique voice. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're always talking about race and ethnicity no, because that's be not the case at all. No. You know, I can speak about poverty. Yeah. I can speak about uh, exclusion. I can yeah, speak yeah. about things that I'm completely passionate about, but it gives you a sense of your uniqueness yeah, yeah, yeah. and the importance of your unique voice. Yeah, yeah. And then the third thing that I think being black and being in a senior leadership position is that you really begin to help people to make connections that mm. would not normally be made, mm. um, whether it's because you have different networks mm. and you can bring them to the mm. table, mm. because you have a different way of viewing mm. things and you can mm. bring that to the mm. table. Mm that people begin to appreciate that yeah. as well. Yeah. One of the things, I was reading some uh, Professor David Williams and his work mm. on weathering. Okay. Um, uh, basically what David Williams, uh, Harvard professor of public health, I think, mm -hmm. um, was talking about uh, and talks about is the effect of weathering, i.e. the everyday extra additional work that yeah. black people have to do, yeah. which we can talk about from a position of some privilege in a way, mm -hmm. but I was thinking about it in relation to poverty. So, mm -hmm. you know, two bits. One is, do you feel that you work, have to work harder? There's an extra layer on your work, mm -hmm. but do you also think that the black people in Southwark, in a sense, have to work harder or experience a burden, which is in addition to everything else? Yeah, I think, you know, I speak about this to you when I do lectures on leadership mm. and I, mm. I do, you know, whether it's to mixed audiences or to BME, lead, mm. BME mm. leaders about the mantle that all of us as minority mm. leaders mm. feel, which mm. is the bandwidth that you have yeah. is very narrow, yeah. very, only very human. narrow. <laughs> yeah, you're only human. And, um, you know, the, the sense that you're not allowed to make mistakes because if mm -hmm. you do, you know, you mm. have the weight of your race. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you're not a mistake because yeah. Kevin made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's no, no. all black men yeah, yeah. make that yeah. mistake. We'll, we'll get another one. Yes. That didn't work that time. That's it. <laughs> uh, but there comes a point when you need to look beyond that. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, part of it for me has come mm. with getting older, mm. much more confident in, mm. in who I am, mm. my skills mm. and what I bring. Mm. But also seeing that I'm working with a range of colleagues and mm. all of us are going to make mistakes at mm. some stage. Mm. And all of us have to learn to forgive each other yeah. and ourselves. Yeah at some stage. Yeah. So I think I've come into that. But that issue of feeling that you have to do more and mm. feeling that that bandwidth for forgiveness mm. is less mm. is a real, real thing. It is, I don't it? think we can ever shake no, it off. No, it's I, always agree, I agree with it. It is it's a real thing. And I, it's interesting because as I've got older, I've become much more acknowledging of it, but also much more forgiving of myself and of the need yeah. to sort of go think, find the space to be yourself in, yes, in a funny kind of way, yeah, yeah. but it, it's, it's part of... So, solutions. I mean, if you were... What do you think needs to change? You know, I mean, in relation to the people of Southwark, but just because Southwark is a fractal of mm -hmm. the country, really. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about what do you think needs to change in, if we're going to move the needle in the direction of yeah. your vision, in a sense? Yeah. What, what needs to change? Well, you know, the vision in Southwark is absolutely clear about the, in the, the council plan and the sort of political leadership's vision mm. of Southwark being a place where people, no matter what your background, will mm. be able to live well, grow well, mm. age well in the mm. borough, mm. and uh, enjoy all the benefits of being in, in central London can, mm. can, can, can give you. Um, 
Other than, other than the pollution. Which <laughs> a benefit. Um, so a key part of this, though, is how we work together to yeah. achieve different yeah. outcomes. Yeah. I mean, the, the history of the systems that we have to deal with is that we've been so used to working in silos. Yeah. And not only sort of benign silos, mm. they've been competitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And the reality is that the funding realities mm. are not going to allow us to work in that way. Mm. The needs of the people we are called to serve mm. are no longer going to allow us to work in that way. So collaboration mm. and meaningful and mm. real collaboration mm. is necessary. Mm. Now, that means that organizations have to work better mm -hmm. together. And there's some great examples of that we're doing in the mm. borough, mm. working, for example, with the NHS on mm. health and social care mm -hmm. integration. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking mm -hmm. at joining up mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole conversation about collaboration with communities. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the pieces of work we're doing in Southern now is really looking at our principles of mm -hmm. engagement with mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. And how do we ensure that wherever you are in the council, mm -hmm. when you're working with local residents, that you understand core principles of how mm -hmm. that should be done? Mm -hmm. And what should our community members expect from us mm -hmm. when it comes to engagement mm -hmm. with, with the council? Mm -hmm. And I think these two ways in which we collaborate will mm. be increasingly important moving forward mm -hmm. because social media, the digital age oh, that we yeah. live in, have removed barriers yeah. and have created a much more leveling Absolutely. between you know, our leaders yeah. and members of yeah, the public. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And mm. part, I think so too. Mm. And part of that leveling, a more mm. horizontal society mm. that we're living mm. in, where everybody's no more than a tweet away from mm -hmm. the Prime Minister. Yes. Right? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yes. you have a problem, yeah. you can tweet. Yeah, the Prime Minister. Yeah, I mean, short tweet back. Now, but, <laughs> but that sense of I have every legitimacy yeah, yeah, to be yeah. able to communicate in yeah, that yeah, way yeah. means that for us to survive, mm. we need to change the way we work with mm. with each other and mm. with the people who are serving. Tell me about what that means on a day to day basis. I mean, I'm curious about this. Uh, you know, what does it actually mean? You know, when you on a Monday morning you walk into work and you're faced with what 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 does it what shift does that make in the way you behave or you know what you talk about or how you talk about it yeah and there are practical things that it does it means that you end up having lots more joint meetings mm. joint teams mm. which focus on a shared vision and a shared mm. ambition for mm. what you want to achieve mm. um, one of the areas that I have responsibility for in Southwark is bringing together planning mm. regeneration public health and communities mm. Mm. So I think we're the, I believe we're the only borough in the country <laughs> that has brought that collection of programs yeah. together. And that's about how we shape place mm. and how we think about regeneration to mm. improve well-being and mm. to strengthen communities. Mm. So that sort of communicate, that sort of on a Monday morning going mm. into work mm. means that we have a different organizational mm. structure. We have mm -hmm. different meetings bringing mm -hmm. us together. Mm -hmm. We're working together on shared priorities. Mm -hmm. So how do you work together between planning, regeneration mm. and public health to tackle child obesity? Mm. Right? How are mm -hmm. we designing our neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. How are we designing our cities? Mm -hmm. And how can we do it differently mm -hmm. to tackle that? Mm -hmm. How do we design knife crime out of some mm -hmm. of our mm -hmm. neighborhoods? Yeah. By street design, yeah. street lighting, yeah. thinking about parks and safe mm -hmm. spaces mm -hmm. for kids, mm -hmm. more social activities for kids. Yeah. These are some of the things that we can do together. Yeah. It's entirely preventable. Yeah. And we know that young people carry knives largely because they're frightened. Yes. And we know that knife crime you know, is about safe routes. It's about, mm -hmm. and most of the victims of knife crime are below the age of voting. 
So they're not responsible for the education mm -hmm. system, yeah. the safety of the environment. We are. Yeah. It's not a youth problem at all, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's an adult problem. It is. It Rant is. over. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is your podcast. I just <laughs> had to get it off my chest. Thank you very much. But it comes back to how do we view problems and how do we frame problems? Yeah. It is too easy to point yeah. a finger and say that that child is making a bad choice. Mm. But as I say, for mm. a child, for a 14-year-old to pick up a knife, it is, there has to be a reason why to that child that mm. is a rational behavior. Mm. Mm. And that only becomes a rational behavior if it is a response to their environment. Yeah. Which means that you have to look at the environment. Yeah. What is it in the environment that's causing this? Presumably rational behavior for the child to yeah. take place. Yeah. And that's why you're absolutely right. Yeah. We need to, to really challenge ourselves mm. about youth, you know, and when we speak to young people mm. in Southwark, across South London, it's about what opportunities we have for Mm. children how are we supporting them mm. how are we supporting them in terms of their mental health and well-being mm. activities after school mm. a sense of uh ambition in terms of what they can achieve yeah. etc and we've yeah. done this before yeah. you know in terms of tackling what we perceive at the time to be mm. wicked problems mm. and seeing huge benefits look mm. at what we did with uh teenage pregnancies yeah we did i remember teenage, yeah we did. i remember yeah. we moved yeah. from social blaming young girls we did. into thinking about the social circumstances yeah. in which they're living. The fact that adults are responsible for it. Exactly. Yeah. And look at the significant changes mm. and improvements that mm. we've So had. it can be done. It can be yeah, done. it can be done. And we have done So it. you talk about the kind of approach as solutions to uh, the community level. What do you think at the national level then might be learned from that? Because I'm, I'm you know, you, you, you've held national posts, mm -hmm. you, you still held a national post. Mm -hmm. So w what is it about the, the Southwark experience of, of collaboration mm -hmm. that, that might be learned, might be picked up nationally? What's the, yeah. what, what, and, and what aren't you seeing nationally? That, you know, yeah. what, how could they be helped? Yeah. So one of the things that we've been really passionate about in Southwark is, is adopting a health in all policies approach. Mm. So our public health team has collaborations with almost every department in the, yeah. in the council. Yeah. For some, it might be just a simple partnership on a project. Mm, For mm. others, it is a deep and enduring partnership mm. where you have public health staff working with, mm. or education colleagues, for example, mm. on providing free and healthy school meals mm -hmm. to all children in, mm -hmm. in Southwark. Or it could be working with our colleagues in parks and mm -hmm. leisure about mm -hmm. how we use our green space. Mm -hmm. That joined upness mm. between health and mm. other government departments mm. needs to be done at national level as well. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be systematic and it needs to be pervasive and mm. it needs to be enduring. Mm -hmm. Because unless you get to the point where you're beginning to see health not as a drain on your resources, mm. but as an asset mm. in order to achieve mm. better mm -hmm. and to achieve better faster, mm -hmm. then you will miss the ability mm. to, uh, of what working with health can mm -hmm. bring. Why don't they do it? Because why don't they push and hold... Uh, departments kind of almost severally responsible for the outcomes. Yeah. Um, why doesn't that happen in your view? So I think one of the things that's holding us back is that we still view health as the NHS. Mm. And that has become a sort of dominant frame. Mm. So when you say, how do we get health to mm. work with other departments? Mm. It's about the NHS mm. and people will run for the hills because mm. they will always see the NHS as requiring more money mm. to deliver clinical services. Mm. And so part of the shift that needs to occur is this understanding that health is beyond the NHS, yeah. that if we truly want to deal with some of the issues that we now have and that we're grappling with and that we can see coming up ahead, mm. whether it is youth violence, 
social cohesion, isolation, mm. and loneliness. We need to think about well-being and health. Yeah. And that has to be a new currency that should inform mm. all government departments. Now, if you can, you know, New Zealand has just, mm. the Prime Minister of New Zealand mm. has mm. recently said that they're going to be looking at well-being as a new way of, a, cent yeah. a central tenet for what yeah. they do in yeah. the New Zealand government, mm. and not just to focus on GDP, mm. but to think about well-being. Mm. That becomes a critical way of thinking differently mm. about what government does. Mm and what government's outcomes should be. Mm. So in other words, how does the work that national government is doing improving economic productivity, mm. but how is it making your life better yeah. in the community? Yeah. And how is your well-being improved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my advice then to the mm. Prime Minister would mm. be, would you consider this mm. as a new way mm. of, and perhaps an exciting way in a post-Brexit world for mm. us to begin thinking about how do we truly improve the lives of our members of our community? Yeah. And how do we help to, in a nation that is potentially increasingly divided mm. on whatever parameter you're looking mm. at, to bring people together? And mm. can well-being be a, a part of that, mm. of bringing us together mm. and, and focusing on mm. that? So, so, new political vision. Yeah. so I just want to, I mean, we've sort of dealt, we haven't really, haven't used the word collaboration uh, very often in this conversation, but I want to use it now because I mm. think we've been talking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and if you were to sort of what discuss what a collaborative society would look like to you, so leaping from that question, yeah. so what, what would it what would a collaborative society look like um, for you? I think there are a few things that come to mind immediately. One is, as I said earlier, we're living in an environment now where we're becoming far more connected mm. to and mm. with each other, mm. and, and digital enables that to mm. take place. Mm. Um, and we're connected both physically, mm. but also. Uh, uh, in, a, in an online mm. way, I can mm. have conversations with people in, in Shanghai, in mm. Hong Kong, in mm. Melbourne, mm. easily, mm -hmm. as I would somebody in Kennington. Mm -hmm. So collaboration, I think, for me means understanding that if we are going to survive and if we are going to th thrive, that doing it beyond the individual mm. and the more that we can do with others mm -hmm. becomes paramount for mm -hmm. us to be able to do things better and mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an understanding that this has to be a core value of what we do mm -hmm. because it will help us to do things better. Mm -hmm. um, a collaborative society means that collaboration is truly valued mm -hmm. so that we incentivize mm -hmm. collaboration rather than penalize collaboration. And it becomes in our organizations that, you know, the fact that you need 10% of your time to build collaborations with other organizations or partners is seen as a good thing, yeah. not seen as taking yeah. resources yeah. away. It's seen as work, it's proper exactly work. Yeah. work. Yeah. So it's valued, it's mm. incentivized, mm. and it's rewarded mm -hmm. that we promote best and good, good examples of collaboration mm -hmm. because it could be between organizations, it could be with community members, mm. it could be in a number of spheres. Mm. Um, I'm always surprised when I walk around mm. and, and, and travel around the country, just the amazing collaborations which are taking place, mm. and many of which we're never aware of, mm. and many of which we don't really celebrate yeah. in terms of how these collaborations mm. make a difference. Mm. So I, I think there's an element for me about how do we also celebrate this mm. and, and mm. disseminate good mm. practice mm. And, and what, what mm. we're learning. We shouldn't assume mm. that collaboration comes naturally. <laughs> and that we have the skills to collaborate well. No. So there's something here for me about how do you invest in training? Great, that was going to be my next question. Uh, how do we bring it about? Exactly. What other things that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So training and building capacity mm. to do it. And I, I gave a lecture yesterday and we were speaking about uh, leadership across, yeah. so horizontal leadership. Yeah. And that horizontal leadership 
so this leading across organizational boundaries. Mm, mm. System leadership, system sometimes leadership. call it, don't yeah. Yeah. Uh, And they're saying you cannot assume yeah. that people who've been used to leading a specific yeah. organization yeah. will in turn be good leading mm. across organizations. Yeah, it's a different skill. different skills. Yeah. Yet we put people in, in environments and say to them, work across the system and, mm. and make it happen. Mm. It doesn't mm. happen naturally. Mm. So in the same way, I think, if we are serious about collaboration, mm. in addition to valuing it and incentivizing it and measuring mm. it and disseminating good information, we should also train people. Mm. Yeah, I am a values-based leader and I really believe in the power of mm. example mm -hmm. and role modeling the kinds of behaviors that you want to mm. see. Yeah. So if it's not coming from me, I can't expect it to come yeah. from anybody who works with me. So I think the first thing that you would see if you came to visit my office mm -hmm. is that I am completely open when it comes mm -hmm. to collaboration mm -hmm. and welcoming of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And if you were able to do an audit of my calendar, you'd mm -hmm. see people coming in from developers mm -hmm. to academics, mm -hmm. to community mm -hmm. members, to politicians, mm -hmm. to a wide range of people coming mm -hmm. in to talk about what we can do together mm -hmm. and how we can work together. So mm -hmm. that spirit of openness, mm -hmm. that spirit of welcoming of collaboration, mm -hmm. But not just collaboration for collaboration's sake. Mm -hmm. This is collaboration to improve the health and well-being of our local population mm -hmm. and to address inequalities. Mm -hmm. And everybody who's working with mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. knows that that's what we want to achieve. Yeah. So it's purposeful collaboration, yeah. Yeah. which is leading to an end. Mm -hmm. So part of it is about modeling the behavior. Mm -hmm. Part of it is about setting up the structures that mm -hmm. can facilitate that sort of collaborative mm -hmm. behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then you will also see that we, we, you know, we have events with our partners all the time yeah, to yeah. sort of thank them yeah. for the collaboration, to yeah. feedback, yeah. and to share with the community the results of the collaboration. So celebrating success as well. When people talk about communities, I always think about power. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, do you think that uh, those community, those movements come up against a barrier which is, which is about power, you know, and, and whether one of the ways forward is that power to kind of be more porous or uh, do you think it's going to be basically rolled over by these movements mini and large i mean uh, well power definitely is going to be a part of that and and remember that you know power is never willingly lost no. you know you always have to fight yeah. for the rights mm. you know that's mm. that's the nature of civil rights mm. and the civil rights mm. movement mm. um so there's an issue of power, but there's also, you know, if I'm speaking, there's an issue of capacity as well. Yeah. When you are, there are few of you working, for example, in a council or mm. with maybe in a GP mm. practice, and there are lots of demands mm. placed mm. on you, you, mm. you cannot engage with mm. everybody mm. all the time. Mm. Mm. And so there's a way, there's an issue as well, not mm. only of the power of letting go to engage, yeah, yeah, yeah. but your capacity to do that engagement yeah. and to do that well as mm. well. Mm. And of course, there's the issue of when you begin that engagement, the more you do that, the more people demand and expect because that yeah. transition takes yeah. place. So how do you support people to, to do mm. that? Um, what gives you hope for the future? I mean, you seem like quite a hopeful person anyway. But you seem like oh, you have to be. Two black guys were really hopeful. It's never, it doesn't go any other way, does it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, if you could say what gives you hope personally, yeah. what, what would it be? So I do a lot of mentoring um, and coaching, yeah. uh, uh, especially with younger public yeah. health people coming yeah, yeah. into the field. And I'm just so impressed and blown away by the next generation of yeah. public health leaders that I see who who get it. You know, yeah, we yeah. don't have to explain to them about yeah, yeah. inequalities yeah, yeah. or disadvantage or working collaboratively right. because it's they not always baked there. into their DNA. Brilliant. And they're bringing 
both that passion for making a change mm. with their their willingness to 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 to, to tackle the big issues that we're mm. grappling with today, mm. and, and that really gives me hope. So, mm. because I'm a teacher, mm. yeah, yeah, and I'm seeing and working with the next generation, yeah, yeah. that is something that gives me hope. That's great, actually. Yeah. I like that. It gives me hope as well. Actually, that's a little 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 island to hope. That's fantastic. Um, last question. Mm. So, when we do these podcasts, right? Um, me and Joe have decided that we're going to have um, we're going to have some background music playing. And, and um, we got we we want you to choose it. Right? I know what I'm going to ask yeah. for. So I, I can't remember who the artist is, but the yeah. song is called "Brotherly Love." All right. Brotherly Love. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why mm-hmm. I've selected it because this is a song. Um, it, it's a sort of seventies funk. Oh right, you got but me already. <laughs> you got me at funk. <laughs> it has the best opening strings right. and the best sort of backing singers on it, and you Fantastic. will absolutely love it. But the reason why I love it is the lyrics talks about getting back to connecting with each other. Yeah, and it comes back to what we were saying earlier that our survival yeah. in this tough world is predicated yeah. on how we treat each other yeah. and yeah. the care that we bring to each other. And the moment you forget that, mm. you forget that at your own peril. And so it's always, for me, a song that both musically yeah. I love, yeah. but also the lyrics are just grounding and it reminds me of who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing here. That's brilliant. That's going to create the atmosphere, isn't it, when we do this? <laughs> uh, thank you very much. That's fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been brilliant. Really, really good thank to, you. to be with you. Thank you. Don't even need no You can find out more about the work of Collaborate and the Collaborative Society on our website, collaboratecic.com. Do get in touch if you'd like to be part of the conversation.